Hello everyone, welcome back to uh, Gamers Gambit. So, you know it's been a while, as I said in a couple of my other podcasts, just been busy, but I am back. And with me is a man who will never have to worry about bailing me out of jail, because if I'm ever in that situation, he'll be right there next to me saying, That was fun, let's do it again! I love the fire. Why didn't we do more? How are you today, my friend? I am doing rather well. You know, Wayne, the reason we'd probably end up in a jail cell together probably has something to do with what you did for that Klondike bar. You know, we're not supposed to talk about that. We got so much replies in the fan mail that it was just too <laughs> much to go by. They were like, can you believe how far he got that down his way? But, of course, we can always talk about what we did for that Klondike bar at, at a later time. But for now, <laughs> let's talk about video games. So, first story, Nintendo's Shigeru Miyamoto has received a Japanese Cultural Merit Award. The uh, award was given by Japan's Order of Culture, which seeks to honor those who have contributed to the development of Japanese culture in academics, art, science, and sports. Miyamoto is the first video game designer ever to receive this award. And he's actually, well, okay, let me rephrase that. There's several people, I guess, that can receive it uh, in a year. And this year there were 20 people to receive it, and uh, Miyamoto was one of them. And all I can say is, what took them so long? I don't know. Why Why do you have to be, like, over X number of years old to receive one of these? I mean, I mean, it's not like a Lifetime Achievement Award, right? It's, like, cultural and the people who do this. So have you noticed how a lot of these things, you know, like, all the people who get it are, like, over 40, if you ever notice. Like, how many how many people, like, under under 40 get, get one of these awards? I, I yeah. just I would like to see a statistic for everybody. But you're right. I mean, he has been not only in Japan, I think, but the U.S. He's been a I mean, you say Miyamoto, right? And it's like most everybody knows who that is. And if they're not thinking about the samurai who wrote a book of five rings, I mean, and I mean, it's amazing that he got this because, I mean, he did work on some video games which are pretty obscure. You may not have heard of them. Uh, Super Mario Brothers and The Legend of Zelda. Like what I said, they're, yeah, they're pretty obscure. <laughs> but, no, the reason I was saying before is that it's about time. It's like, I mean, you look at both of those franchises, you know, started in the early 80s, and they become a worldwide phenomenon and are both very long-running franchises. Which... Well, wasn't, wasn't he also one of the people who wanted the, the Wii to be designed how it is? Wasn't he one of the people behind, like, Wii Fit and... While it never came out, the heartbeat sensor that they were going to bring out for the Wii or either the Wii U or the Wii, it was like he's not only into like just the normal everyday video games, he is also about health, he is also about getting people to come together. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not sure how much of a hand he had in the or input he had into the design of the Wii U, but according to the geek.com article. Uh, he It sounds like he did have some ideas and some stuff he put into Wii Sports, which, yep. 
yeah, is so you probably had some input into that, but yeah, and like I said, I'm just wondering why it took them so long because I mean, you look at the cultural impact of video games. I mean, the Nintendo Entertainment System, there's some video game experts who credit that with bringing back video games from the video game crash of, oh, crud, was it 82 or 83? I thought it was 83, but we'd have to do a double check on that one. Yeah, I think it's 83 as well. Because I, I know after that crash, there were people who thought that video games would never recover and they'd forever be just nothing more than a niche market. Boy, were they wrong. So I've heard some video game experts say that one of the things that they thought Nintendo did that helped the video game industry re, uh, you know, bounce back from the, the great video game crash was how they branded their system. Because instead of just calling it a game console or a video game system, they called it an entertainment system. And, you know, it came with the robot and the gun. So, you know, it was kind of novel for its day. Uh, though I don't think it was the first home system to uh, have a light gun, but the robot was definitely different. Now, yeah. how well it worked is up for a matter of debate. <laughs> well, yeah, but but the the one thing also that while we were talking about this made me think also, um, a lot of like Microsoft and PlayStation in the past have said, you know, we don't want to make multiple SKUs of the playstation or multiple SKUs of the xbox like they just started because they're like we don't want to confuse people but was weird about nintendo like they're like the first ones i can think of doing this but they had the action set which had the light gun i believe and then like the deluxe set right with the robbie the robot and everything in there which they had multiple different SKUs. and i think did they eventually just drop the light gun i forget and just have an nes or or did it always come with the light gun i forget but i know they if you think about it they like were one of the first to have multiple multiple skews of their own system right you're right i know they i do remember they had those different versions and you know each one had different pack in games i'm pretty sure that they eventually did drop the gun uh because i guess after a while companies just really weren't making many light gun games and I see, sometimes I wonder if Nintendo was almost envisioning the NES as being something that you could do more than video games on, uh, like, you know, something that you could do, have other applications as well. Well, if you remember, we didn't get it here, but I believe in Japan, they actually got a disk drive. Yes, they did. The Famicom disk system, which was interesting because yeah it actually used like the something similar to like the three uh, the three and a quarter floppy disks that you know we were using on our computers if you think about it also nintendo back in the day i don't remember if nes had it or if it was just snes but they were one of the pri- even though they suck kind of now they were one of the pioneers in online gaming because they also had the satellite service that you could connect, I think it was either satellite or it was actually um, a modem service that you could connect to either your NES or SNES to download uh, games and whatnot. Yeah, I think they had something like that for the NES in Japan. Uh, They weren't the first home console to do it in America. 
I think the Genesis actually beat Nintendo to that because I remember near the end of Nintendo's life, they did introduce a pair of, or the Super Nintendo rather, they did introduce a paraphernalia called the X-Band, which I used to have one. Um, I used it more for just communicating with friends. I didn't do much online gaming. And that's something that I could talk about. Ugh, I could talk a lot about that. So, but I'm not going to get too much into it right now. And, but I mean, just part of the problem is it just came out too late in the, the game system's life for it to really be, you know, very, to really be a very practical or popular device. Yeah. But the weird, the weird thing is, uh, I'm not sure, but I'm sure with most of these things that come get cut up, come up with, how much of this is Miyamoto? You know what I mean? How many of these things was he on, and was he striving to either make the system, and and the consoles and in life for gamers in general better, right? And and more interesting. That's true, and that's one thing I will give to Nintendo. In some ways, they have been very forward-thinking because, you know, they popularized the portable, you know, the Game Boy, the portable game system where you could swap out the cartridges. Again, I'm not sure if they were the first company to do it, but I think they popularized it. They were the first company to popularize motion controls uh, in, a big, in a home console, at least as far as I'm aware. And... I mean, with the tablet controller with the Wii U, you know, it had its it had its ups and downs. And then, of course, with the Switch, the fact that you can use it as both a, a console or you can use it as a as a portable gaming console. I mean, you really want gonna kind of think, okay, what's Nintendo gonna try next? Yeah, no, it, that's always like. Nintendo is always like one of those for innovation, trying new things. You know, we some of some people always claim that you know, oh no, they just bring out the next Mario every year. You know, the next uh, Smash Brothers, uh, next you know, Zelda, ne next Zelda. You know, and they don't really do that much innovating. But if you look at the past, you know, and even some of the things, have you seen the uh, the Ring Fit Adventure thing that they've brought out? I've seen a little bit about it, but it's not something that I really looked into because it didn't really sound like it was very interesting, at least okay. not to me. Oh, yeah. No, it, but it's just one of those things where you'd think with a portable system like that, how would you get um, athletic or whatnot with that? You know what I mean? And here they brought something out for that. Mm -hmm. Oh. So, yep. Like I said, about time Japan, I mean, he's, I think that, you know, like any, you know, head of a company, he's, you know, made mis probably made some mistakes over the years, but I think he's definitely very worth, uh, I think he's definitely very deserving of that title when you consider all that uh, Miyamoto and Nintendo have done for the video game industry. So moving on to our next story, publishers Nighthawk Interactive and I Am 8-Bit will be re-releasing two classic Disney games, Aladdin and The Lion King. So I was reading about this, and it actually sounds really interesting. Uh, first, it's going to include multiple versions of each game. So it looks like you're going to be getting the Nintendo, Genesis, and Game Boy version of each game. It also will have a watch mode 
which will let you take control when you want, and then apparently you can tag out whenever you uh, need to, and then let the computer take over, which I suppose kind of defeats the purpose of playing the game, but okay. <laughs> it also has a rewind feature. Uh, also, it's interesting, it's going to have the original demo version, which was unavailable until now. Well, I'm sure there's, it's probably on some uh, you know, emulator site out there, but... Uh, so you're going to have the original playable demo of the game, and then they're going to have lots of behind-the-scenes content as well as the soundtrack. So when we were talking before the show, it uh, sounds like you never had a chance to play either of these games. No, I never got a chance to play those ones. Because I've seen a friend of mine play Lion King on the Genesis. Uh, I have played both versions of Aladdin, and... Honestly, I like the Super Nintendo version one a little bit better. I think the graphics are, well, the graphics are a little bit more towards realism, whereas the, I, I mean, the graphics are good on the Genesis version because it looks like a, you're playing a cartoon. Um, I have to say that the music is a little bit better on the Super Nintendo version, but one of the reasons I'm glad they're including both is because they're two different games, where the... Uh, Super Nintendo one is focused more on acrobatics. So it's almost like a Super Mario Brothers type game where you jump on people's heads and okay. that's how you defeat the opponents. And there's also more of an emphasis on climbing and jumping and swinging around, uh, almost like Prince of Persia in a way. And the Genesis version is focused a bit more on sword play. So you're running around and swinging your sword at things. So I enjoyed both games, but I'd have to say I, the Super Nintendo one is a little bit better in my opinion. Honestly, I'm surprised that Capcom's not really involved in this because I'm sure they had to pay no small amount in licensing fees to get the you know the license not only from Disney but also the licensing from uh, Capcom. Unless I don't know if uh, after a while if the license for both games went back to Disney, but I'm imagining so. That's that's one thing about Disney. They're they're not giving up anything without a fight. Yeah, very protective of their IPs for good or ill. So I think this is cool because, you know, lately there has been this whole retro thing going on where people are rediscovering the games that, or in some cases discovering for the first time, the games that we grew up playing. Yeah, and they're... It's so kind of crazy in some ways that PlayStation, you know, is just doesn't get it. You know what I mean? Sony just doesn't get it. They they have this ginormous library, right? Nintendo gets it for ill or good. How many times has somebody paid for Super Mario? How many times has somebody paid for Legend of Zelda, if you think about it? Because whenever they do it... It may not be available right away, but eventually it might hit the virtual console or it might be. And it's like each time you got to buy it over your, your purchases never stay on one account. It's like, they're going to get their money. So in that way, you know, well, I think that's, you know, a little bad, but it still keeps everything up to date where Sony in some ways just goes, you know, Oh, nobody really wants to play all these old games. Nobody wants to play this or that or the other thing. Cause we have the new stuff now. 
Yeah, I mean, come on, Symphony of the Night is what, like over 20 years old? Who wants to play Castlevania Symphony of the Night anymore? Oh, I got excited because on something they said there was a chance it might get remastered for the PS5, and I'm like, I just bought that over again, and I'm like, I might <laughs> actually, just for like better graphics, pick it up again. I'm like, I'm yeah. so dumb. <laughs> I <can't laughs> bought that game like four times. <laughs> well, one thing that was nice with the Nintendo Wii and the Wii U is anything that you bought on the virtual console, you could transfer over to the Wii, your to the Wii U account. The only problem was uh, you once you transferred your Wii purchases over to the Wii U, you couldn't transfer them back. But, I mean, I think this is nice because Capcom and Disney did have a pretty strong partnership back in the, the late 80s, early 90s. Or actually, I think it was just the early 90s. But they made a lot of really good games based on Disney properties. You know, as we were discussing before we started recording, you know, back when we were growing up, remember they had the Disney afternoon? Yep. You know, where after school you got home and you could watch, you know, Chippendales Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, uh, Tailspin. Uh, what were some of the other cartoons there? Yeah, Chippendales Rescue Rangers, DuckTales, Tailspin, uh, Darkwing Duck, like you said. Aladdin was one of them, since we already have Aladdin. Um, they had an Aladdin cartoon series? I'm pretty sure they did. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. It's been so long. Those are just the ones I remember. Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, uh, the DuckTales, and uh, Chip and Dale. And, and they were actually some pretty good games. I mean, the DuckTales was a fun game, and then when they did the remaster of it, I'd have to say that's probably one of the best remakes ever. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to play DuckTales Remastered. Yep, I loved that game. That was awesome. Everything on that game is spot on. The only complaint I have about that game, and for those of you who haven't actually played it, uh, what will happen is as you're playing the stage is occasionally Scrooge McDuck will say stuff. Like, you know, once an adventurer, always an adventurer in... I didn't get to be number one by backing down and, you know, you know, look at that size of that diamond. And I mean, it, it gets a little old after a while. But other than that, the voice acting is really good. I'm pretty I think they I remember reading they got the original actors back and the music was awesome. I actually went and bought a copy of it off of iTunes. So, I, I mean, it's a good example of retro done right. Yeah, it was. A lot of care was put into that game, and you can kind of t- you can kind of tell. Chippendales Rescue Rangers, I think, would be another one that was worthy of a remake. That was one of those ones, though, that could be a little. It could be frustrating if you were playing if your friend you were playing with was trying to be a total jerk, like. You know, Nobody would ever do that in a co-op game. Come on. Oh, never, never. <laughs> so. I mean, I definitely think that there are some uh, Disney Capcom games out there that, you know, cer- other ones that certainly would deserve a remake. But but when we talk about how when you play a co-op game, sometimes your uh, person you're playing with can be a bit of a jerk, that actually segues nicely into our next topic. And this is an article from Yahoo Lifestyle. Video games may be good for male mental health. Now, the former Surgeon General, 
and I'm probably not going to pronounce this name correctly, but Vivek Murthy declared it to be a health epidemic. And one of the points they made in the article is that men and women form bonds differently. Females tend to bond more over things like talking and sharing emotions, while men tend to bond over activities. Now, in the article, they okay. note that, and this is something I think we can agree on, it's important to form relationships with people. And as we get, we get older, it gets harder. So to quote the article, but once careers and marriages and kids start getting in the way, grabbing drinks requires a complex process of coordinating schedules and risk assessment, measuring the estimated quantity of fun against any potential negative effect it might have on the rest of our overbooked days, which sucks the joy right out of it. It's little wonder that so many of us choose to put away the actuarial tables and just stay home. But what if you could get the shared experiences and idle chit-chat that are so necessary to nurturing these connections without having to worry about hangovers or babysitters or even putting on pants? <laughs> this is the ideal offered by multiplayer and co-op video games, which more and more people have been turning to of, of late. So Wayne, I know you're a big fan of uh, online co-op video games. So when you're playing uh, your online games, do you play it without with or without pants? Um, both, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. It depends on the day. It depends how long I've been home. And really, do I really want to deal with pants right now? <laughs> I'm just saying that I, I tell the truth to you all. Well, I, I have to. I'm sure that. You know, sometimes it can be fun to just kind of sit there in your boxer shorts playing uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, right? Uh, well, that's not a co-op game for me. I'm doing. I'm not doing co-op on there. I'm doing World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> I'm doing no Final Fantasy fifteen right now. What are you talking about? So, what are some of your thoughts on that? Did I say fifteen? I thought I said fourteen because that's. I know no, that's 15. the one that. Well, fifteen <laughs> well, has online a... too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why I said I'm not doing that. What? <laughs> no, um, my thoughts are definitely, I mean, for for some people, remember, not all of us are really, really social. I don't drink, so I don't go out and I'm not going to go to the bar, even though I don't have kids or anything. So, like, for me, with a little bit of social anxiety, you know what I mean? I don't necessarily want to be around large groups of people. So, being in like a MMO, like World of Warcraft, having like a guild, having like people who I can talk to over the computer, you know, that's awesome because I get to have a little bit of social time, as it were, where most people would go, well, why don't you go out and just deal with, you know, people or whatnot? It's like, well, I can. I'm doing it right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. And I mean, as I said, I, I can certainly understand some of the what they were trying to say. Because, I mean, some of my fondest memories from childhood are sitting, you know, down with a friend, uh, you know, on the couch next to me playing, you know, a co-op video game, whether it was, you know, even if it was something alternating like the old Atari games or some of the old NES games, you know, even if it wasn't co-op, it was still kind of fun just to, you know, go back and forth. And now, of course, sometimes it could get a little boring if you were like, let's say, playing Super Mario Brothers and your friend is like really good at the game and they're playing for like 
15 minutes straight without dying and you're just kind of sitting there but but still it's fun and and that's one of the things i do like about video games is they do have that potential to help people form you know those social bonds yeah and also if you don't get a chance you know if you don't get a chance like the article said if you don't get a chance to go out you know what i mean because you do have other responsibilities you know if it gives you an out to say, Hey, you can still go and do stuff. You just, you know, it may be a, you know, video game or MMO versus, you know, actually going to the bar or going to a social function. That would be, you know, what some people might prefer, but it's at least an option. Yeah. And I know as you, yeah. and And I, I know, as you've mentioned in the past, I mean, you're one of those people who has kind of a goofy work schedule where, Sometimes it's hard for you to, you know, swing by a friend's house in the evening because chances are you're probably working. <laughs> or I know you said that you also tend to work a lot of weekends. Yeah. That's my main that's my main time to work is, is on the weekends. So it, that's when everything for gaming and everything goes on with everybody else because they're normally working during the week. So it's kind of like... <sighs> Nobody, nobody wants to game on a Friday. Uh, well, no, Friday's nights is fine, but since you have to get up at like five o'clock in the morning for work on a Saturday morning, <laughs> like, but nobody really wants to. Let's just say Monday night. Nobody want. Nobody really wants to game on a Monday night. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So yeah, playing online video games can be a lot of fun. But what would you say if I told you that? Forming a friendship through an online video game has the potential to save somebody's life. I would say yes. I would say that any time that you can give an outlet to anyone or be there for someone, whether it's in person or you know over the internet, um, it it can mean a lot to people. Yep, and this actually segues very nicely into our. Next story, gee, it's almost like I planned the order of these stories that they would kind of segue nicely into each other. No way. <laughs> but there was a story from uh, Newsner.com. Teen saves boy's life hundreds of miles away. So the story is about a boy named Riley, a 14-year-old who lives in Connecticut. And he formed a friendship with another teen in Florida through online video games. Now, one day, the Florida teen told Riley that he was considering killing himself. So Riley talked to him a little bit, and he replied, You promise you're not going to do anything because we're going to play tomorrow. And, you know, this helped uh, keep the guy from killing himself, and eventually he convinced his friend to call a suicide prevention hotline. Now, according to his the principal at his school, Eric Varner, I think everybody thinks they're going to do the right thing, but in a difficult situation, he really did the right thing. One person can make a difference. So great job, Riley. Exactly. You know, and that's the thing is it's like nobody realizes it, but, you know, sometimes it's just that one person, you know, it's just a 15 minute conversation showing somebody you care and just going through with it, you know, that can just change somebody's life for good. Yeah, and what I thought was good, what this uh, what this Riley guy did is, again, he said, 
you know, don't do anything because, you know, I want to play games with you tomorrow. And, you know, that, so I'm wondering if that helped keep the kid, uh, you know, going and motivated because, you know, we were talking before about how loneliness can be a very serious issue for some people. And I'm wondering if the, the Florida teen was maybe in one of those situations where he was feeling lonely. Because uh, the article, it didn't really give any details about the, the kid in Florida. And I'm sure that's probably just for his privacy. Yeah. Uh, which is probably a good thing. But, um, and I think it's a very positive story because, I mean, how many times have you heard, you know, some, maybe some of your older friends or family members say that, oh, online friendships aren't real friendships. Which is BS. I mean, honestly. Yeah, and, and here we've got a case where uh, a kid used it to save the life of another kid uh, hundreds of miles away. Yep, and that's the, the kind of thing that we like to hear about. You know, it's like, it's just so... What I love about some of these stories, to be perfectly honest with you, is it's like most people who are really into gaming, into more into online things, when you have somebody say, well, that's not real, or you have somebody's doing something like that, right? And it's like most of us could say, no, we totally have an example of something like this, or we totally know that that's totally BS. You're, you're saying that, but that is nothing. It's It's funny how... You know, all these things are now coming out saying, no, it's exactly what like me or you probably, you know, or anybody could have told them in the first place. Right. It's like. How does it how does it take so long for these science groups or whatnot to figure this stuff out? Because it's like it's apparent to anybody who actually is in the culture <laughs> or is, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, basically, they're telling us things that, as uh, video gamers, we've known for a while. Yeah. Well, moving on, uh, the next story actually feeds off of a previous uh, story we talked about, where we talked about a game called Hellblade, uh, Senua's uh, Sacrifice. So this article is from CNET.com. Xbox Studio Battling Mental Illness with Video Games and Neuroscience. So this article is about the Insight Project. Now, from their website, we believe that video games have huge potential to help people in ways that have yet to be explored and exploited. They provide compelling and absorbing narratives within immersive settings and can be tailored to respond flexibly and sensitively to individual abilities and demands of those who play them. As it stands, the team wants to create video games to show the many different states of mind, whether that be anxiety, fear, psychosis, or other forms of mental distress. This would give patients insight into their symptoms and could help them manage their condition. So again, we had talked about Hellblade, and uh, one of the guys, okay, his name's Paul Fletcher, um, I think he was he's with Ninja Theory or one of the studios that developed the game. Uh, he said, after Hellblade's release, yeah, Ninja Theory. Um, after Hellblade's release, Ninja Theory and Fletcher noticed there was a subtle shift in the conversation around mental health. Players flooded the team and social media with praise. Some saw it as a way to express their suffering to family and friends. Others celebrated the game for its dedication depiction of psychosis 
So Fletcher said, one of the things that just really blew me away after Hellblade was released was to see a conversation opening up on the internet about its representation of mental illness. Increased representation of mental illness in popular culture is helping dispel some of its stigma. The percentage of American adults with mental health challenges has remained stable for the last eight years, but youth cases are on the rise. Fletcher thinks that more personalized treatments using game design principles could take treatment options to the next level. It comes back to the idea of making the invisible visible. So, your thoughts on this story? So, while I was listening to this, I was going, what's the job of a writer? Let's just start from there, right? The job, writers usually want you to feel some kind of empathy with their characters, right? They want you to feel, you know, and understand some of the things that are going on. That's something that makes a good story. Let's take that into mental health, like they're saying. What if I can show you symptoms that you might be having? What if I can go and not give you a way to express yourself in a video game or take a role or let's just say find characters all with different maybe mental health syndromes and maybe you can go, that one's like me and you can empathize with it. You can also possibly explain to your psychologist or maybe a doctor or whoever, you know what I mean? And go, yeah, no, this is kind of like what I'm going through or whatnot. And you start to see a natural progression, right? Of how this might work out, right? Like it does make total sense and it may have been overlooked in the past, you know, because who knew? Yeah. And and that's what, uh, one of the things that I think can make a good video game is when you have something in one of your characters that you can empathize with. Uh, and I mentioned this in a, a previous episode, how, you know, sometimes a game can help you through a tough period in your life. And back when I was in high school, I was dealing with a former friend of mine and there was a lot of trust issues between us and, you know, betrayal. And I was playing Final Fantasy 2 on the Super Nintendo at the time. So just the whole thing, the what was happening between Cecil and Kane in that game really helped me, you know, work through some of the issues I was having. So, and I think it's good. And this article was also talking about how it's also been used for physical therapy as well. That there's, at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York... There's a team of quadriplegic esports athletes who are using video games to uh, go along with their rehabilitation. Um, and we, again, we did talk about uh, how they were using that one Sequest video game to help predict your risk of Alzheimer's. Uh, also, there's another game that the John Hopkins School of Medicine released or developed specifically to help stroke patients regain movement in their limbs. So I I think it's cool. It's awesome how they're trying to work this towards mental health. Yeah, no, and I totally agree. I just I find it that it's it's funny that we're tr- trying to look at different mediums in a different light. It's not just for entertainment. It's not just for this. What more 
because it's always good, right? It always feels good to have something, but kind of get more out of it. Like to not only be able to use something for one purpose, that something's multi-purpose like this. And I, and I do think that's kind of cool. Yeah, and, and as they were saying in the article, that part of it is when if you do have someone who is dealing with a mental issue, you know, maybe there's something in a video game that's going to help them realize, you know, what their issue is and hopefully seek treatment for it. Um, like the, again, how they, uh, you know, Hellblade was praised for its depiction of psychosis. And who knows, maybe if there was someone who was playing that game who had it or maybe thought they had it, who knows, maybe playing that game would have helped them deal with their issues and work through them. Mm-hmm. So definitely. So I certainly uh, hope that this insight project uh, does go, you know, does go further. And uh, they did. If you go to their website, you can express interest in it. So I guess they might be looking for, uh, you know, people to collaborate with. So, you know, but it's cool. They're trying to not only bring in video game designers, but they're also trying to bring in neuroscientists and psychologists as well. Yeah, no, definitely. It's well. Did they? Do they have? If anybody, uh, if any of the listeners are actually psychologists or psychiatrists, you know, did they leave a link of who you could contact to get involved? Uh, the website. I second. Let me look up. I, the website is just like insightproject.com, I think. So, but yeah, if you look up the Insight Project, uh, you know, you should be able to find it. Might be an interesting to explore. Well, this brings us to our opinion section. So, Wayne, you had an idea for what to talk about for this opinion section. So, why don't you uh, lead us into the last segment of today's show? All right. So, my opinion today is yet another political opinion in a way, um, but also not. Something very scary. There was this, There's this thing called Blizzard Entertainment. They make a lot of, you know, good games, we'll say. Uh, they're o owned by um, Activision, and lately they are recently they got into a little bit of issue with um, their Hearthstone tournament. Um, they decided to ban a player named Blitzchung. Um, he was from Hong Kong, and as we know that uh, the Hong Kong actually left from a British rule, and they were returned over to. China. Now, with this, they have lost a lot of their freedoms. They used to have them. You know, they didn't have total autonomy, but they did have a lot of freedoms in which now they do not. And lately, China has been, you know, pretty much doing things like the current protests in Hong Kong are based on the China wants to move people who are proven guilty or whatnot of crimes against China and other things and extradite them back to China for imprisonment or, you know, or whatever type of thing. And if anybody knows that I'm getting any of this wrong, just let me know. And I'm sorry if I'm giving out the wrong information on this, but this is from what I'm able to tell. Yeah, because the article that I was reading, uh, just to kind of interject here, um, it was saying that they... China was trying to pass a law allowing them to extradite people, and it just says for 
judiciary reasons. So it didn't say anything if they were proven guilty or not. So, I mean, I Boy. guess in theory, they might think, oh, this person, you know, said something really bad about us or said something damaging to a high-ranking member of the party, and they're in Hong Kong, so we're going to try to expedite them to, or extradite them to take them back to China and be thrown in prison. And yep, considering, much. Yeah, and considering the fact that, you know, while Chinese culture does have some positive aspects to it, as far as their government goes, they have been guilty of human rights violations in the past. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the things, is that... So this guy named Blitz Chung, after he won the Hearthstone tournament, pretty much on the on the th- on the on the stream, said, "You know, free Hong Kong, revolution of our time." And pretty much the two announcers, you know, ducked under the table because maybe they knew that he was going to do it, but they knew that that was not what they want to be known for. Or, you know, it's China. So just having, you know, being in the same room, somebody who did that, there is a chance that you might be taken in for questioning or be brought responsible. And it gets to Blizzard's response, which was to ban Blitzchung for a year and take away his prize money. Yeah, and the there's a couple of IGN articles I looked up on this, and yeah, they're saying during the interview, Chung wore a face mask, and mm-hmm. it's a reference to a government-issued ban on wearing face masks while protesting, something they do to protect their identities. Yeah. Because again, and... China is, you know, they they've had these human rights violations in the past where, you know, you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, you know, we're talking about, you know, shock troops coming to your home in the middle of the night and next, you know, next thing you know, you're, you disappear and you're never heard from or seen again. Yeah. And that's, that's a very scary truth, I think, for some people um, where I think here's where the opinion section actually starts here because Blizzard has since kind of apologized. They've to put the ban down, right? They've put it from one year to six months. They gave him back his money that he that he won, and you know they they still punished him for free speech and standing up for human rights. Here's though the big problem with it that people don't necessarily think about. So Blizzard's not the only video company that would do this because if you want to, if you want to. They're not like here in the U.S., right? If you want to do business in China, you kind of got to play by China's rules. And that means supporting the party, supporting the government, uh, supporting whatever rules that they say. So in that part, you know what I mean? We're we're in the U.S., and I don't know about you, but I like being able to say what I want to say. I like knowing that nobody's going to come for me in the night and take me away. I don't know about anybody else, but I like this. It's something that I think our country was founded on. And I think that, at least for me, that that's something that we should all defend, that we are of the ability to live free and do what we need to do on a daily business basis without any fear. Yeah, at least and... of, our, of our government for the most part. Yeah. However, we all we know that Blizzard 
is not well not blizzard itself but let's just say activision they don't they like hiding money they like kind of doing the tax dodginess you know what i mean so they're not mm-hmm. totally all up in that you know we'll give our and that's pretty much any co- co- company really when you come down to it nobody wants to pay taxes when you're a company you know so you're going to ha- try to hide money and hide do stuff like that you know they fire they fired a you know and laid off a whole lot of people that they viewed you know after making record earnings you know and they're doing all this stuff and then when it comes time to have the most basic of american values right freedom of speech human human rights you know what i mean the ability to say what you need to do they don't even stand on the ground of basic, you know, basic of what it means to be in this country, basic of what it means to be someone, you know, who has all these things. And remember, it would be maybe something different, right? If Hong Kong was always underneath China's rule, and that's all they had ever known. And there's this group of insurgents, right, protesting this and doing something. I mean, you'd still want to be, I guess, supporting that maybe. But at the same time, Blizzard slash, you know, Activision at this point, because they're one and the same. um, You know what I mean? You might be able to stand beside that going, you know, we don't want to cause trouble. But this was a group of people who used to have the same freedoms that maybe we did, right? And they're not used to being treated this way. Yeah, I and mean, now, like... oh, oh, go ahead. ahead. No. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and to go now and say, well, it's China, and we want their money, right? Because that's all it's really about. It's not about whether you believe in freedom, whether you believe. It's about is money worth more than your values. Which is my true opinion piece. What happens if, say, China was to invade or to do a massive strike against the U.S. or something like that, cybersecurity and all that kind of jazz, and we sit here, would these companies stand aside? Because if they did something against China, they would lose their money. That's the that's the scary part is that if you're not willing to protect our values now, when it matters, are you going to be one of the people to hold the door open? Yeah, that is true, because um, I know and I, I mean, well, first to get back to what happened with Blitzchung here uh, now. Blizzard's reasoning for why they did that is, is, okay, again, this is from an IGN article. According to Blizzard, Blitzchung's actions during the interview violated Rule Section 6.10, which reads, Engaging in any act that, in Blizzard's sole discretion, brings you into public dispute, offends a portion or group of the public, or otherwise damages Blizzard's image, will result in removal from grandmasters and reduction of the player's prize total to zero U.S. dollars, in addition to other remedies which may be provided for under the handbook and Blizzard's website terms. So, 
I mean, we'll get back to the, uh, you know, the video game part of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you with the, I mean, it's scary to think, okay, some of these companies that do a lot of business in China, and let's be honest, as video game fans, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of the companies that make the games that we enjoy, you know, have manufacturing places in in China, you know, if something did happen where China was to act aggressively towards the United States, you wonder, okay, which side are they going to take? Are they going to take, you know, at least in the in regards to U.S.-based co- companies, are they going to stand with America or are they going to... Are they going to act within their financial best interests? You know, and that I think is a very scary thought. Well, and I'm I'm saying you're already willing for you know, and again, I I am giving Blizzard the benefit of the doubt. I would say this might be a different different question if Hong Kong had always been under China rule. If it was well, they they've never had the you know what I mean. It's still not American if you think about it that way, but at the same time. You're like you're going to a country that's ne- never had to deal – well, possibly had to deal with this before because I don't know what where Hong Kong stood before me bad – history bad. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Before yeah. <laughs> imperial rule of Britain or whatnot. But at the same time, you know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about people that had freedom, that had – and the thing is that whole section that you just read off. They have gotten and looked more bad by their actions, except for China, by doing what they did. Blitzchung doing what he did did not violate that rule, except for in China, for the when the Blizzard kind of broke their own rule because they they themselves made them look like asses. Hopefully we can say that on the internet. <laughs> but Wayne, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure people have said much worse wor- and much more offensive words than asses on the, on the internet. internet. Yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? They've, they've broken their own rule in more of the public eye by, do it, by doing the, the banning. And then the other part of this, like I said, is just the fact that we know other companies do this. This isn't something new. But the weird thing is, is that when we're in a capitalistic society as we are, and you need all the money, you know what I mean? Just some of the money doesn't matter anymore. Is it going to be a, pro- a process of, is it my freedom or is it my money that's more important? That is true, yeah. And I think that, I mean, I'd like to peep, I mean, definite, I mean, of course, okay. Let's be realistic. Money is important in the, you know, the modern world, but still you have to, at some point you have to, you know, realize that some things are more important than, you know, than money, especially when you're talking about, you know, these companies that do make a lot of money. And as you put it, they're not happy with just having some of the money. They have to have all the monies, but and and I want to place out this because I play WoW. I most likely, after seeing the trailer for uh, Diablo Four, I'm gonna gonna play it. It's not like so. I'm not one of these guys, and I might be a hypocrite for it, but I'm I'm really not gonna 
ban them. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go, okay, well, I'm going to just not play anymore. You know what I mean? I'm not going to – the problem is, is it's kind of like the Chick-fil-A, right? But Chick-fil-A opened up over here. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, everyone's going gaga about that. Well, it's kind of like the LGBTQ thing, right? It's like you shouldn't eat at Chick-fil-A because they don't support LGBTQ rights, right? And I'm like, yeah, maybe, but if you take one rich person, right, take away their money or whatnot from that business, you don't think they have enough money elsewhere? Yeah, there's a certain point, but I just don't see that you can stop it. If somebody yeah. has those views and what they're going to do about it, it's kind of like Blizzard. Well, I banned Blizzard, right? I'm not going to use their stuff. But at the end of the day, is Activision going to stop this? Are they going to just going to do the same thing with them? So, because I already don't really buy anything from Activision proper, you know what I mean? For them, it's just Blizzard right now. So it's like, I don't know what's the real answer to that. I. Yeah, but yeah, so it's not like I'm going to take like a firm stance of I'm never playing a game from Blizzard again, but it's like I do think it's something worth talking about in society for video games and for other things about you know, where where do we stand on some of these things? Because we all, we already technically lost on some of the microtransactions. We've already lost on technically loot boxes. But there's a ch chance that some of the loot box stuff is going to be, like, going away, too, hopefully, um, with, some of the, with some of the regulations that may come down from other governments. But at the end of the day, it's something that we all have to look for and go, do we really want to support this? Do we really – and is there anything that we can really do to change? Because it takes a lot for a group of – people to even move the boulder right it's like yeah. and what things are gonna you know what things are going to actually oh the other thing that i didn't mention was that you know it was too late most of the stuff in the in the letter was wrong but blizzard had actually gotten a letter from senators on both sides of the aisle condemning their actions yeah and and that's good i mean yeah because uh I mean, yeah, I think you made it just go back to the point you were making where, you know, yeah, are we going to have to, at some point we have to choose between what's more important, uh, you know, standing up for human freedoms and rights or the almighty dollar. So, well, I think that's a good place to end today's show. Any final thoughts before we sign off for today? Uh, um. Bethesda is a pile of cow manure. Let's go with that one. That That's not going to drive anything, but hopefully maybe they can clean themselves up and, and get them back in the road to righteousness. But Fallout 76, just if anybody's still playing that, I don't know why. I, I have no idea why. Yeah, and I never got into the whole Fallout thing. So, I mean, I remember hearing something about it, but yeah, I never actually got into it myself. So, oh, I don't know if we have time to go over it, but yeah, that's let's just say they took a, a game that people paid full price without knowing that it was an MMO and turned it into pretty much an MMO. 
Nah. Well, that that might be actually a, a topic we can talk, address in a future episode. So I think that's a good place to end for today then. So with that said, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, keep on gaming. Hey! This is Adventures Anthology, or what we lovingly call D&DAA. We're a native Green Bay group of four players and our DM, Micah Brault, who all come from different backgrounds and have different experiences and skill levels within Dungeons and Dragons. Our campaign takes place in a created homebrew universe of various genres, and we have a tasty cocktail drink every session. We'll have one-shots with special guests like Blake McClellan from Mindless Productions. We run raffles for miniatures, and potentially we'll do some meetups in the future. So come check out our website and join the conversations at Adventures Anthology on Spotify. So if you like Dungeons & Dragons, role-playing, and drinking shots to craft cocktails, check us out. Thank you. have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.